0: As we said, this is a time for us to be equipped as a church for the purpose of reaching out to a lost and dying world. And last week we talked about we did a real fast run through the history of the Bible and looking at um, God's heart to save sinners. We talked about the fact that we are to be imitators of God um, in in this mission of saving people from their sin. Today we're going to talk about a very important subject, God's sovereignty and our responsibility. It's really important as we go out to share the gospel with people that we understand how evangelism works and who does what in that. The three lessons we learned from last week were the purpose of history is to bring glory to God. God is the ultimate evangelist. He delights in saving sinners. And finally, we've been entrusted with the honor and responsibility of proclaiming the gospel. This whole issue of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility is a real um, challenging topic and a topic that there's a lot of confusion on. So today what we want to do is try to undergird us with the truth of God's sovereignty and also the reality of man's responsibility. Why do you think it's important to understand God's role and our role in evangelism?
1: So you don't get too discouraged when people don't respond.
0: Okay, that's helpful. You can get really discouraged doing evangelism, can't you? When people reject it. What else? <laughs> okay, and you don't take the credit when they do make a decision for Christ or they do become a believer. What else? Okay, if we don't understand who does what in salvation, we can rob God of his glory in salvation. What else? We want to understand God's overall plan for the world for mankind. Okay, we have to understand his plan for the world and mankind. If um, if we believe that all of it rests upon us and that it's completely our responsibility to do that and that it's really the person's complete responsibility to trust Jesus and that there's nothing that God does to them before they trust Jesus, then it becomes an issue in which, well, what's wrong with maybe, you know, the gospel's kind of harsh. It talks about men being in rebellion against God. It talks about man's sin, um, what if we just got rid of those negative messages? Wouldn't that make this easier for us to have people trust him and follow him? If we had just an upbeat message, that's, that's very helpful. Uh, and that's kind of what's happened in our culture, is the the culture's not just been overwhelmingly embracing Jesus. And so in an attempt to fill our churches, what we've done is we have, in some churches, we've modified what the gospel is. And it goes something like this. God loves you, and he has a wonderful plan for your life. And his plan is to bless you and bless you and bless you and bless you. So you want to pray the prayer and ask Jesus to come into your heart? Well, yes, that sounds like a great plan. <laughs> Why would I not want to do that? And because of that, we end up seeing a lot of people, quote, become a Christian, but in reality, they've never seen anything take place. There's never any growth in their life.
1: So we forget God's sovereignty, and I think that's a key word. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Yep. We want man to be sovereign in a lot of situations, don't we? Especially in this one. Okay. So, what does the Bible teach us about God's sovereignty in salvation? That'll be the first question. Second question we're going to deal with today is what does the Bible teach us about man's responsibility? Um, as Wayne was saying, sovereignty means God has absolute control over his creation, he is sup- the supreme authority over all things. And then the question is, and and how does he exercise that authority when it comes to the salvation of people? Let's look at Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 31. Some people have called this the golden chain of salvation. And we're going to look at three important words in Romans 8. Who would like to read that for us? Romans 8, 28 through 31. And we know that God causes
1: all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us?
0: Okay. So in this passage, we see five words. We see um, new, predestined, called, justified, and glorified. The first word we see here is to foreknow. Let's turn to First Peter chapter one, verse twenty. Who would like to read that for us? First Peter, one verse twenty. Okay. So who was foreknown? Christ. Christ was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Okay, Acts two twenty three. Okay. Two
2: twenty three. Nice and loud.
0: Okay, so here we see that Jesus was delivered over because of what? Predetermined. The predetermined plan and the what? Foreknowledge. The foreknowledge of God. So there's something in the foreknowledge that caused him to be delivered over. There's some action here that God is doing. It's not just knowing what's going to happen. There's something else going on here as well. Romans eleven two through 6. Let's all turn there. He's talking about Israel. And who would like to read that for us? Okay, so Elijah's having a meltdown. He's the only Christian left, he believes. The only follower of God left. And God makes this and God makes this statement, or Paul makes this statement about God. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. That's the big question in Romans 11 is, how come Israel's not being saved? The Gentiles are being saved. Seems like Israel is not being saved. Has God just rejected them? And he says no, God foreknew them, he has a plan for them, and he goes on in 11 to tell about that plan and how eventually he will bring in Israel into the kingdom. But notice here, he tells us, um, God speaks to Elijah and says, I've kept for myself 7,000 people who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So this is something God's done. He doesn't say, hey, praise God, we have you know, uh, 7,000 faithful people who heard the truth and responded. He says, I have kept these people. And then he goes on to say what? So too at the present time there's a remnant chosen by what? Grace. grace. In the Old Testament, those people were chosen by what? Grace as well. They were followers by grace. Not just because they were smarter than the rest or had more spiritual intelligence than the rest. So we see here the use of foreknowledge. God foreknew Israel. Israel wasn't the best and the brightest. Israel wasn't a nation that was faithful to God. But God in his plan foreknew the situation. There's two definitions of foreknow. And this is really kind of where the battle lines are drawn when it comes to this whole issue of who does what in salvation. One definition says God knew what we would do. That's called foresight. God just looked down through the quarters of history, and he knew who was going to make a decision for him, and then he chose them. Okay? The other definition of foreknow is God knew what he would do. Not what we would do, but what he would do. The first illustration, God knew what we would do, would be like this. I take a dart, and I close my eyes, and I throw it against the wall over there. Then I go with my marker, and I put my perfect circle around the dart, (laughs) and add another circle, and another circle, and I, I hit the bullseye. That's kind of what, if we believe the first position that God looked down through history to see which people would be good enough to trust Jesus, and then he went and drew his, his target around them, and he called them chosen. A good illustration of the second foreknowledge where God knew what he would do, it's like an architect who walks out on a piece of land, and he looks over the land, and he goes back to his drawing board and he creates this beautiful home with these incredible windows open the back looking down into the valley into the river and then he purposes he hires the right people and together they put this whole house in place this is more the concept of Forno God had a plan He. And he knew a people. The word "foreknow" also carries an idea of knowing intimately and personally. It's just not knowing some facts; it's knowing these people intimately. In Ephesians one, we're told that we were known before that, that the elect were known before the foundations of the earth. It wasn't just that he foresaw who might give a favorable response; it's that he knew them personally. And he deliberately chose them. It was part of his plan. And his plan is to be carried out in a way in which everyone that he foreknew will end up being what? Saved. Okay? So God foreknows those he chooses to give the gift of salvation. Let's look at Jeremiah 1.5. And Brian, you wanna read that for us? Before these young sword drill people beat you to it. (laughs) It's just not fair when you get older. You gotta have, have a handicap. Yes one five. Nice and loud. Okay, so what's God saying there about the prophet Jeremiah? He, had appointed him. he was appointed to be a prophet, he knew him. and he knew him when, before he, was born. before he was what born. Okay, so there's a there's a knowing of this of this man, and I would say to you that each of those who were elect of God were known by Him before the foundations of the earth. Okay. The second word we see in this chain in Romans 8 is predestined. And predestined simply means to mark out beforehand. Okay? So God marks out a people to come to know him. The hard part of this is that God marks out some, but not all. And that's really the hard part, isn't it? Um... Let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. Who would like to read that for us? Okay, Jackie's got it.
2: He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the
0: kind intention of his will. Okay, let's first stop on that one just for a second. Let's go back to four. Actually, let's go back to three. Let's go three, four, and five. Okay? Mm -hmm. Mm
2: -hmm. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons, through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his
0: will. Okay, so what do we see in this passage? Who's he writing to? Believers or unbelievers? Mm-hmm. Believers, okay. And what does he say in verse 4? Okay, so before the foundations were laid of this world, he chose these people he's writing this letter to. And we can extrapolate, that also means he chose who? Us. If we are believers as well, correct? Alright. And why did he choose us? Go on. What, for what purpose? That we would be holy and blameless. That's the end goal. He's marked us off. He
2: set us aside for this
0: purpose. purpose. In love, he did What? predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Why? According to the purpose of his will. Does he go into a lot of detail about what that is? No, he doesn't. He just says according to his will and his own purposes. Again, the architect who's building this great building, he chose a people for himself. And what would the be, and and what would the result of this be in verse 6? To the praise of his glorious grace. He's put this together in such a way that it's going to cause people to do what? Praise him for his amazing grace. Okay? So we don't know all the purposes behind it, but we know it's for his glory and we don't know the criteria by which he chose these people but we're told in first corinthians that not many wise not many noble basically people who aren't the the bright stars of the world were chosen for his own purposes that should make you feel let your self-esteem go right up shouldn't it okay so he has predestined them he has predestined us those he chose to receive salvation. So, predestined means we are marked for a purpose and because God is sovereign, is that going to happen? Yes. It's going to happen with the people that he's chosen. Acts 4:28. Mhm. Yeah, here we have a picture of Jonah where he didn't want to go share the truth of God with the uh, Ninevites. They were a horrible people, they were a wicked people, they were a barbaric people, and so his plan was, I'll just go catch this ship and I'm not going to do that plan, and God brought him to the place where he was more than happy to go to Nineveh. took a little sea trip, took a little deep sea diving, <laughs> scuba diving. Doing a little uh, colonoscopy in, inside of the whale, he was. Yeah, he was snorkeling exactly, right. So he does carry out his purposes. Acts four twenty-eight.
1: To do whatever thy hand and thy purpose predestined to occur.
0: Okay, let's back up to twenty-seven.
1: For truly, in this city, they were gathered together against thy holy servant Jesus whom thou didst anoint, both
0: Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of
2: Israel, to do whatever thy hand and thy purpose
0: destined to occur. Okay, so this was no accident of what happened to Jesus. And what's amazing is, in the middle of this predestination of Jesus being crucified, each of these agents, Herod, Pontius, they acted of their own accord. They acted of their own choice. The Gentiles did. The the Jews did as well. But it was predestined to take place. So if Jesus' sacrifice was predestined to take place by the foreknowledge of God, then so is the salvation of his people. So we have foreknowledge, which means God knew what he was going to do, and he knew the people he was going to save in a more intimate way, And then secondly, he predestined them, he marked them out, and he has a plan in which he will carry it to completion, and everything he has planned for them will happen. Okay. Then the third word we have is called. Romans 8.30. Who would like to read that?
1: He predestined,
0: these he also called. Okay, so the people he foreknew, he did what? He, he predestined, and then those he predestined, he did what? He called. He called. Now this this calling, there's a there's a. Um, if we're in the first camp that says that God knew what we would do, if God just foresaw these things happening. The belief is that God calls everybody, and and only a few come. But let's look at this as we walk through this. Um, Divine calling is the sovereign act of the Holy Spirit as he opens the heart of a sinner to respond to the saving message of the gospel. This is why the Holy Spirit is so important. It's a sovereign act of God, but whereby the Holy Spirit does what? opens a closed heart, and causes that person to respond to the saving message of Jesus Christ. Let's look at John 6:44. Christopher? No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the
2: last day.
0: Okay. So what's Jesus saying there? Hmm? Okay. No one is going to do what? Come to him on their own. Only if what happens? The Father gets involved, who sent me, does what? Draws Draws them. Now this was a huge crowd of people that he was preaching to. And he was telling about how they needed to eat his blood and and, uh, eat his body and drink his blood. And they didn't like that message. And a lot of them who were rabid followers turned away that day and never followed him again. And his disciples, he asks, are you going to also leave me? And he makes this statement in the middle of this whole scenario, is that what? Only the ones the Father gives me will come to me. The Father has to draw you before you trust me. Okay, let's look at Acts 6.14. 1614, I'm sorry. That's right. I'm trying to give Brian a chance to catch up. I gave him the hand signals over here. 1614. Who'd like to read that? Okay. Okay, go ahead, Jackie.
2: A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things
0: by Paul. Okay, so here we see the Spirit of God doing what? Opening the heart of Lydia. Let's go to Acts thirteen forty eight. Who would like to read that for us? Okay, go ahead, Michael. Okay, so here we have these people believing, but who are they? They were what? Appointed. Appointed. That sounds like foreknown and predestined, doesn't it? Foreknown and predestined. There's one passage in Acts where the Spirit tells Paul to stay in this city and continue to preach here because I have many here who need to be what? Saved. Was that just some random people? Hey, this might be a good place. There might be some people who might trust Jesus here. No. God was saying what? My chosen, foreknown people are here who haven't heard the gospel, and your job is to what? Give them the gospel. Okay? Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. It didn't make any sense to me that it could mm-hmm. because we're sinners. Mm-hmm. Our thinking is corrupted by sin. Mm-hmm. We're dead in our trespasses. And sin. Yep.
0: Yeah, we're going to talk about that in just a second. Mm-hmm. Right. Because, and what we're talking about here is God's doing something to prepare people for the message. Because people will, they're called to do what? Repent and what? Believe. Repent and believe. But they have to get to a certain place before they can do that. Okay? All right. So God sovereignly calls sinners by opening their hearts through regeneration to believe the gospel. So this is the work of the Spirit. So if Evan's down here among the Taramara and he's sharing the gospel, and somebody gets excited about it, and someone embraces Jesus, and their life is changed, Evan knows they were what? Foreknown? They were predestined? And they were called. And they had the grace to do what? Respond. Okay? So, it's a blessing, isn't it, to have that opportunity to do that. So, we have this situation where um, we have those three going on. Now, I want you to notice in Romans 8, again, the assumption here is everyone who's foreknown is what? Predestined. And everyone who's predestined is what? Called. Now, notice the next phrase. Every, and then, and for those who, let's see where we are, are here. Yeah, we're in verse 30. And those whom he called, he also what? Now, would you say that's a 100% success rate or a 50% success rate? What does the implication of this passage teach us? A hundred percent success rate. So whatever kind of calling this is, it's so powerful that it has a hundred percent success rate. As you preach the gospel and proclaim the gospel, you're giving a outward call. And if this person, and it's God's timing, and they are elect, there will be an inward call that will draw them to faith in Christ. Okay? And then he says, all those who were justified, those whom he justified, he also what? Glorified. Glorified. So notice this passage doesn't say, some whom he foreknew were predestined, and some who were predestined were called, and some who were called were justified, and some who were justified were what? Glorified. He says, and those back up in the verse before, and those whom he foreknew, he predestined, and then he goes, those whom he predestined, he called; those whom he called, he justified; those whom he justified, he glorified.
1: I got a good cross reference on that. Okay, John seventeen. Father, the hours come, glorify thy Son, that the Son may glorify thee. Even as thou givest him authority over all mankind, that to all
0: whom thou hast given him he may give eternal life. John seventeen, eighteen. Mm-hmm. Yes. So what does God's sovereignty mean in salvation for us? This is really important. Okay? First it means that we have hope that people will be saved. We have hope that they're going to be saved. A lot of people don't realize what happened at the fall of Adam and Eve. At the fall of Adam and Eve, something radical happened to mankind. The men who used to be able to walk in the garden with Jesus and have fellowship no longer desired that. If you look at Romans 8, 7, real quickly, the scripture says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law Indeed, it what? Cannot. But can't. And then the second one is Ephesians 2, 1 and following. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, and among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But you saw the truth, and you prayed the prayer and trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It didn't say that. What does it say? But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, again, here's this foreknown, this foreloved idea. He loved you even when you were a, a, a child of wrath, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He did what? He made us alive together with Christ. If the Spirit of God did not do His work, no one would come to God. No one. A lot of us read the story of Noah and the ark, and we go, praise God, there was one good guy there. Noah and his family, one homeschooling family, saved them all. (laughs) Such a blessing. (laughs) No, the Bible says Noah found what? Favor with God. Noah was foreknown. He was predestined. He was called. And he carried out what God called him to do. And he preached for 120 years with how many converts? Only his family. If the Spirit of God doesn't do His work, no one comes to salvation. Okay? Secondly, God's sovereignty teaches us to fully trust in His power to save sinners. All you have to do is talk to some sinners, and you realize it's hopeless. You just talk to them a while, and you try to share with them the gospel the best way you know how, and they are like a wall. They're like a rock, and they are deeply entrenched. And you realize the only thing that's going to happen is if the power of God blows them away and shows them who they are. So the sovereignty of God gives us hope. He gives us the ability to trust fully in his power. Third, God's sovereignty should remind us that we should have no fear in evangelism. There's no reason for fear in evangelism. Because Jesus said, and lo, I'm with you always to the what? The ends of the earth. I am with you in this. I am working in this. And everybody you proclaim the gospel to won't come to me in faith. But you can know that God is working and your job is to be the messenger and deliver the message. That is your job. Fourth, God's sovereignty should encourage faithful evangelism, not serve as an excuse to neglect it. Some people take foreknown and predestined and called And justified and glorified, they take that to mean God's going to do everything. And I don't have to do anything. And I really don't want to evangelize anyway because it's kind of hard and I can get rejected. It should, though, cause us to be faithful in evangelism, knowing that there is a harvest. There's a harvest. There are going to be people who are going to be saved as we share the gospel of Christ. The first missionary, William Carey, went to a foreign board or a board to talk about going to his particular mission field, and they said, "Mr. Carey, if God wants to save those people, He's fully capable of doing it without your help." That's a wrong interpretation of Romans eight, twenty-eight through thirty-one, and Carey viewed it as if God is in this, then I know I'm going to be successful. And he went. If your theology causes you to not evangelize, then you have bad theology. If your understanding of Romans 8, 28-31 doesn't thrust you out into the mission field or thrust you out into evangelism, then you've got some bad theology. Okay, Let's look at man's responsibility. What does the Bible teach about man's responsibility? God's going to take dead people and he's gonna make them alive. So you're in a boat. The boat has been wrecked. You're out in a lifeboat trying to save people. I wish the situation in the world was this, that as you're out in your boat paddling, there's everybody, oh I'm right over here! I'm right here! Come get me! Throw me the life preserver! I'm ready! I know I'm in trouble. I've got to have. I've got to have you. Please come. Oh, so glad you're here. No, what you have is is out here rowing. You have these bodies that are laying face down in the water. They're dead. They're blind. They don't see their need, and you desperately need the Holy Spirit to be like a defibrillator who comes along and goes, Poof! Poof! and causes people to come from what? Death to what? Life. That's why we pray, right? And asking God to do what only he can do. We can't make the dead person alive. We can tell him the gospel, which is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, Romans 1.16. But unless the Spirit does his work, nothing will happen. Jesus told Nicodemus, Unless you are born again, you will not what? See the kingdom. Once a person sees the kingdom and they see the king and they see their mess, they repent and they believe. But being born again is the work of the Spirit to make that dead person floating face down in the water, cough up some water, and turn over and reach out for their only hope. Yes. We will talk. We will tackle that one. We're not going to tackle it right now. Maybe we can tackle at the beginning of the next one. We'll tackle that one. That's a good one, and that's a good question. Uh, let's let's finish this part, and we'll, maybe we can do that at the beginning of the next session. What about? God loves the whole world. What about God wanting everybody to be saved? Okay, I think the verses we already talked about give a different picture of that, but we'll talk about that more next time. What does the Bible teach about man's responsibility? Number one, pray. Colossians 2, 4, 2 through 4. Let's read that real quickly. We're going to have to put it in high gear. We're almost there, though. Okay, Colossians 4, 2 through 4.
1: forth the mystery of Christ for which I also have been imprisoned in order
0: that I may make clear in the way I ought to speak. Okay, so in this passage we see what? Be devoted to prayer. Being watchful in it. In others be attentive. If you're going to pray and ask God for opportunities, then you need to be what? Attentive. Right? To those opportunities. With thanksgiving, having a grateful heart, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door. Praying for a door to be opened. And then discernment to declare the mystery of Christ. Every person's different. Every situation's different. The gospel's the same. But how you deal with those people, you have to have discernment. How much do you give them in this first conversation? Do you un- do you back the truck up and load everything you ever knew about God in one thing? You take them from Genesis to Revelation, and they're going, wow. Okay? So prayer. Remember our assignment last week, asking God to give us a heart for the lost. Asking God to open doors. Asking God to show you three people to share the gospel with. So prayer is one of the most important parts of evangelism. You also remember Paul in Ephesians 6 asks, the people to pray for him, that he would have what? Boldness. The Apostle Paul needs boldness? Mm Mm-hmm. So praying for each other, praying for ourselves. Secondly, pursue the lost. Luke 19.10, Jesus said, I came to what? Seek and to save the lost. Every once in a while, you'll have somebody come to you. Most most often, you're going to have to do what? Go. That's what Jesus said. Go and make what? Disciples of all nations. Go. Man is not looking, to, looking for God. He really isn't. So we need to go. And three, we need to proclaim. It's not enough just to live a Christian life in front of people. And not tell who he is. We're called to proclaim. Acts 2, 23 through 41. one. Second Corinthians 5, 14 through 21 talks about us being ambassadors. We're ambassadors for Christ. And we are to proclaim the message of reconciliation to people. I'll let you look up Acts two twenty three through 41. I really don't want to do that though. So I'm not. We're going to go ahead and read it we're going to do it quickly. Is there a sense of urgency here? Yes, there is. Okay. He says, This Jesus delivered up according to the divine plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Who's, who's Peter saying this to? To the Jews who crucified Jesus. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Wow. Then he goes ahead and quotes some, some of David. Comes back in verse 29. Brothers, I may, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Then he goes on down, and he says this in verse, 30, verse 32. This Jesus God raised up, and all, and that we all are witnesses, being therefore exalted to the right hand of God. And then he goes on and talks about how they crucified Jesus. Verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Notice the message of the gospel. Cut them to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the disciples, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said, said, I'm glad you asked. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And they did, and that day about 3,000 souls were swept into the kingdom. We have to proclaim the gospel. Paul did not say, your good Christian life is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. He said, the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Romans 10 talks about those, blessed are those whose feet bring the good news. How can they believe unless they hear? And how can they hear unless somebody preaches to them? They've got to hear. We've got to proclaim the message to them. So prayer, pursuit, proclaiming, Bill Bright, who was the head of Campus Crusade for Christ, gave this definition for evangelism. Evangelism is, the, is to clearly share the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit and leave the results to God. May God give us grace in that. Our homework assignment, uh, we are all working on memorizing Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Right? So we're going to do a little review next week on that. Secondly, I want you to write in one or two statements, what is the gospel? We're going to talk about it next week. Three, we want you to continue to pray like we said last week. And four, this is a, this is a bigger assignment. Acts is the whole story of the church pursuing the lost. Let's see, let's read a chapter a day, okay? A chapter a day in Acts to get the emphasis for the pursuit of people. Next week, we're going to be blessed to have Evan. That's right, Cody, am I speaking right? Evan will be speaking with us about the mission that he has in Mexico and what all is going on there. Two weeks from today, uh, our dear friends Jen and Damon Cup and their family will be here Missionaries to Uganda, part of Sufficiency of Scripture Ministries, uh, they um, have a school, they have a church, they have a ministry of going around Uganda, training pastors to rightly handle the word of God. Uh, it's an amazing story, an amazing mission, um, and they'll be here in two weeks, so you don't want to miss that. These are great expressions of what we're talking about here in evangelism. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and we know that you're an evangelistic God, and that you love lost people, and that you foreknew and predestined and called and justified and glorified a whole host of people from every people, tongue, tribe, and nation. And we have been given the privilege not just to know you and worship you and obey you, We've been called to represent you and to carry your name to those who don't know you. Father, today I pray that you would undergird us with the truth of your sovereignty and salvation and our responsibility. And Lord, help us next week or three weeks down the road as we look at the gospel. Father, help us to pray. Lord, help us to look for opportunities. Help us to not be afraid to speak your name and to tell of your greatness in Jesus' name. Amen.